Right. Back in the hot seat we are. Welcome to a new season of Nourished by Spinnies, the podcast which promises to inspire you to eat well and live well. I'm Tiffany Eslick. And I'm Devina Devecha. This is a space where we hope to nourish your heart and your soul. On this show, we chat with leading players in the food community, from farmers to foodies, as well as health and well-being experts. It's all about engaging conversations and fresh ideas. And it's good to be back. And we're hitting the ground running, jumping right into a masterclass in fermentation. Now, this is different from pickling. We really are jumping right in here. What do you mean? I don't know. I thought we'd ease into it. But here we are getting into a masterclass. Okay, Davina, how was summer? Did you go anywhere fun? Well, as you know, there was that amazing trip to Mauritius in June. But after that, I've been Dubai bound. Uh, but it's been nice and quiet out here. How about you? I feel like I need another summer because okay. <laughs> I did take a break. I went home to South Africa to the, to the beach, but I was super sick. Came back, got more sick. Um, so basically five weeks of sickness. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Summer's sort of passed. I did um, have a little escape to France, um, which was lovely. I was in Lyon and Annecy um, visiting a variety of French cheese producers, um, which we will talk about in a few weeks' time. Uh, and then I popped over to Switzerland. That was nice. But yeah, here I am and ready to go for the new season. Great. I'm looking forward to hearing more about the cheese in a few weeks. Uh, but let's talk about today's episode and your fermentation workshop. Yes. So today's masterclass comes to you from the cozy space at the Dar al Wasl Moor in Dubai. Dubai regulars will know the area for restaurants like Moonslice and Mayakum, which incidentally has extended a part of their space to Tab Chili. Okay. And so today, its founder, Mahe Tabchi, is giving me a masterclass in making kimchi and sauerkraut and all the geeky details about the process. And that's not all because we've got a giveaway for our listeners. That's right. We're giving away a chance to attend his workshops, the sauerkraut and kimchi workshop, which is the one I did, and his new kombucha making workshop, which I cannot wait to check out. And now, let me give you a nice little segue. Tiff, what is the difference between fermentation and pickling? Well, Davina, thank you for asking. <laughs> Naturally, I'm just going to pass on your question to Mahe, who told me there's something even his mother isn't quite clear on. I tell my mom I'm fermenting class because she came and was like, what are you doing, son? Like, <laughs> doing all of this fermenting. I'm like, mom, it's just, uh, what's fermenting? It's just pickling. They call it pickling. They yes. don't call it fermenting, you know. They don't have any technical knowledge on this. Yeah. So what's the difference? Pickling involves putting vinegar on a product. But vinegar is sterile. If you put vinegar now on a table, you're killing the bacteria. Okay. Once you put vinegar on cucumbers and you put them in a jar, in two days you get a sour note that pickling is known for. Fermenting vegetables or fermenting pickles, you add salt, mm -hmm. water, and a few spices. The flavor will take some time to evolve. But what's the difference? They will all have sourness with it, but only 0.1% of uh, acid uh, into the solution, so 50 times of vinegar diluted in water, mm -hmm. means that it no longer has the full probiotics because the bacteria die. Okay. That's why if you go to a, a retail ch a chain, if you see something pasteurized, like sauerkraut pasteurized, doesn't have the probiotics. Okay. It has a shelf life because vinegar or pasteurization help in shelf life, shelf stability. Yeah. But it won't have the probiotics that you're looking for. All right. So you're actually just eating it for the sake of it then. Uh, yeah. It has nutritious, nutrition, yeah. but it doesn't have the gut bacteria, the gut health bacteria, okay. probiotics that fermented food are known for, like yeah. kimchi, tempeh, sauerkraut. Yeah. Wow. That's kind of just the difference. Just add yeah. salt instead of vinegar and watch it grow and it should be okay. Cool. Yeah, should be okay. <laughs> it will be okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's um, the confidence you have to bring usually from trial and error. Okay, so we're learning new things already. 
how did your kimchi turn out? You are going to actually taste some of that today. Yeah, I'm up for that. But let's first kick off my conversation with Maher and how he got started in the world of fermenting as a child. I think fermentation is niche and scattered around, but not come together to really expand the benefits of it, which we need in our food on a daily basis. And when I opened the space, so my name is Maher Tapshi. Mm -hmm. So Tapshi stands for my family name. I give it a small twist with a chili. So I call it tap chili, but it's more than chili. Yes, I ferment my chili here for three months because I want to show with full transparency everybody how I make my chili. I don't have any secret ingredients. It's time. I allow time to make the cooking. Mm -hmm. And that for me brings flavor and health benefits, which I think everybody can do at home. And how did you get into this? Because, I mean, you have a day job, where, yeah. which has got nothing to do with this. Yeah. Have you been cooking since you were a kid or, yeah, how did you get so into So the thing is, in fermentation, you don't cook. The bacteria is cooked. Yeah. So it's easy to just dunk things in water and put some salt. Yeah. If it goes bad, it's the bacteria's fault. If it goes good, it's my credibility. Uh -huh. So I'm always covered from both ends. Yeah. But I had the love of fermentation from my mother, my grandmother, who used to ferment pickles. And fermentation is preservation. It used to preserve for seasons. Mm -hmm. And growing up, I enjoyed the flavor from it. And I enjoyed really chili coming from a, my mother, who had also some origins in uh, South Africa and yeah. lived as well in West Africa. So we always had chili on the table. Mm -hmm. But traveling a lot as well, I always enjoyed uh, fermenting back home, and especially chilies. So I really had a, a small soft spot for having so many jars in the house. After COVID came, as you know, everybody was in the house. So all the jars were piling into my house, fermenting, fermenting, yeah. and it was going to cause me to a divorce. <laughs> So to save my marriage. Alive. Yeah, she's happy I'm actually fermenting here. So we moved here and I wanted to really look at my baby's ferment, but I wanted to show people with full transparency how fermentation can be done. And I do the workshops to educate people, to take the knowledge with them and to share it with their friends. And I also do a pop-up here as well to allow chefs to be creative with it to educate consumers how they can eat it so they can create demand. I love that you are making it so accessible for everybody because it is diff like I'm really interested in this, but it's hard. It has been hard to find like where can I go and get a scoby, for example, for kombucha yeah. or how can I get the kit to start doing sauerkraut? You know, yeah. so I think that's great. And it's yeah, such thanks. a lovely space. It's so cozy. Um, I can imagine like a pop-up in here with a chef. That must be fantastic as well. Yeah. You've done a couple of those, right? We've done a couple of those. Yeah. Uh, just started like, it was May, June before summer came. And hopefully we're going to start again. Some interesting thing coming up. But eventually it's always a marriage of values. So with this traditions and heritage and as well, just try to bring fermented food on the menu. Just a small trace mm -hmm. because we only need a few, few trace of them to really fuel the probiotics in our body to, uh, to nourish our mind and body. And has everything, you know, you said that you've, you started this when you were a kid when you were playing around with yeah. fermentation but has everything just been trial and error so like you've with these recipes yeah. have you perfected like the best kimchi over these years or is it just do you constantly experiment and play with new things that you can add to so uh, fermentation is really trial and error like if you so if you do your research read your books you do your online there's so many fermentation gurus out there who teach fermentation but if you don't do it by yourself you never understand how to play with those parameters, which is time, which is temperature, which is textures, flavors, salt level. All of those become your personal thing and there's never one exact recipe. One time I had a couple who were doing their both same kimchi, but they ended up having different flavor because of the bacteria, temperature. So understanding how it plays differently just gives you a bit of passion towards it. Mm -hmm. And what's really nice about it is that after a few days or a few weeks, it comes out with a flavor that you might just like and you say, you know what? I'm going to try it again. Yeah. So for kimchi, I'm not teaching something new. It's just basic ingredients with kimchi, which will make a standard kimchi. But everybody has their own recipe. In Korea, yeah. they have like every family has its own secret ingredient. Because one ingredient yeah. can help change 
the flavor. Okay. So that's what's beautiful about it. It becomes very individual. Are there any ingredients that are super dangerous? So let's say you, you're making your kimchi and you put something in and it's going to mess it up completely. I don't think there's anything dangerous because you have to understand just a few parameters. Dangerous is when something goes really off or bad, which is like mold, for example, which causes for you, of course, to be sick. Mold is something you can see. Okay, uh, but how do you prevent this? First of all, you should have the right amount of salt to start the process. But we have a very important tool in fermentation, which we call the power of hydrogen pH. Mm -hmm. You should have that pH strips. Okay. Because if you look at sauerkraut, if you had it there standing for a year, how would you know if it's safe to eat? It tastes good, it looks good, yeah. smells good, and you want to dive in. So one thing we do is we test the pH. Okay. If it's below 4.6, it means it's safe to eat. Why? Because all the bad bacteria cannot survive in this environment. And that's what's beautiful in fermentation. In a few days, pH takes a nosedive mm -hmm. because of the acid uh, buildup from the lactic acid fermentation. Mm -hmm. And that's why it causes preservation to be safe. So okay. it cannot really go bad if you control the pH or monitor it. Okay, so you need to have these strips if you're going to do it and uh, to be safe. So usually, like back days, they didn't have the strips. Yeah. You can tell visually, but definitely if you have any doubts, a pH will help you a lot. And okay. sometimes a pH is help to control a recipe that you want to uh, perfect. Yeah. And one more, because I really like all this like geek information and uh, so I'm enjoying this. Um, can you, you, so you talked about lactic fermentation. So that makes me think of dairy as well because right. of lactic acid. Yeah. Can you explain like the three types of fermentation? So you have alcoholic fermentation. Yeah. Alcoholic fermentation is, for example, with yeast that makes bread. At yeast they use as well to make beer and wine. So it drives alcohol. Okay. And just to let you know, uh, there's also lactic acid fermentation, so yogurt, pickles, uh, kimchi, okay, one of the few. And as well, you have acetic fermentation, which is like vinegar. Mm -hmm. So different kind of fermentations, but they all rely on bacteria to produce the flavors. If you think of yogurt, if you think of pickles, and you think of cheese, flavor-wise, texture, they're different. Yeah. But flavor-wise, they have a sourness to them. And that's because of the lactic acid fermentation okay. of the lactic acid bacteria, LAB, which provide that sour note to it. Well, let's get started. Yeah, what are you teaching start. me first? So today, I think uh, I think kimchi could be a good start okay. because kimchi is usually a combination of a couple of techniques. So in fermentation, you have uh, like in vegetable fermentation, you have three techniques. Yeah. First one is called the dry salting technique. So mm -hmm. probably have you ever done sauerkraut before? Once um, at cooking school last year. Okay. Yeah, cool. my hands got because we put turmeric into it, and yeah. so it, my hands got really yellow. But it was great. Yeah. Okay. So what happens is that you grinded the, you shredded the vegetable, mm -hmm. and you put on top of it salt. Yeah. Why? Because the cabbage leaf, you can keep on squeezing it and you can get enough liquid out of it to submerge it and to make everything anaerobic. So yeah. the liquid will submerge by itself. But for a carrot, for example, you can't do that if you are in pieces. So yeah. you put it in the brine. Second technique is called brining technique. Okay. You just dunk it in the water. Yeah. It becomes anaerobic. Now, the third technique, I like to call it the kimchi compromise. It's a combination of both. Yeah. Why? Because three hours and a half ago, Leila, she managed, she put the Chinese cabbage with 20% salt uh, under the water for three to four hours okay. to prime the lactic acid bacteria to start working and eating itself. Okay, so that's really important. That's important you because you're brining it, preparing it for the fermentation because this bacteria specifically, this is a very technical or geeky way I'm talking, she likes salt. Okay. I call her she. She likes salt. <laughs> okay. Why? Because enough salt allows it to eat faster mm -hmm. than the others. Okay. Because turbocharged. And the more she eats, the more acid she slows out, the pH starts dropping. So she controls the environment, which is very important for us. Okay. So what we do, underwater, so brining technique. And then now we then shred it. We just remove the excess salt. Mm -hmm. And then we put it to do the 
basaltic technique. Okay, great. That's why it's a combination of both. And does it have to be cold water, lukewarm water? So it has to be uh, normal water, okay. filtered water, not yeah. chlorinated, because you don't want, you want mineral rich water to be there, not something chlorinated with fluoride. Okay. So either you use your filtered water, yeah. or you can just heat a tap water to let the chlorine evaporate, let it rest, and then use that. Okay. Always use mineral rich. And for salt, we use uh, sea salt yeah. uh, because it's mineral rich, because remember, if you use table salt, it contains iodine. Yeah. Iodine is a chemical agent and it will interfere with the, uh, with the fermentation. So always think about you're creating a micro microbiome which has bacteria which mm -hmm. want to flourish without any interference. Okay, cool. Cool. Right. I felt I went on a, on a streak. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> right, I, awesome. I just leveled the information. So this technique calls for this recipe. So I want you to use um, leeks and radish mm -hmm. and garlic. Okay. So you're going to cut them yeah. and put them in the bowl. And then we're going to add some spices to mix them to okay. create the paste that we're going to add to the Chinese cabbage later. Okay, sure. So first step, please take the leeks and yes. take the radish, measure 100 grams and okay. cut them julienne style or just small matchsticks. Oh my gosh, cut them julienne style. Okay. Just, go, just cut them a small pieces. Um, okay, cool. It's quite nerve wracking having all of you watch me do this. Yeah, everybody's on you. <laughs> yeah. All the phones are out, cameras are out. <laughs> How much kimchi should one be eating? Every, like, is it okay to eat it every single day? And how much would you say at a time should people eat? So to be honest, I cannot uh, really answer this question from a health perspective. Yeah. But adding fermented food definitely is something good for the diet. Yeah. I eat chili every day for the past 10 years. I'm okay. You will know when your body will tell you no. Yeah. But definitely any, everything in excess is not good. Yeah. So once I had a gastro doctor. Yeah. And she was mentioning that, uh, you know, many of her customers go, right? yeah, it's perfect. Okay. Many of her customers actually go for probiotic pills, but yeah. probi don't give the same benefits. Many of the people who come from my workshop, surprisingly, they are here to enhance their diet by fermented food. Either they have something that they want to sort in their gut, yeah. or they really want to enhance their well-being and add more fermented food because they cannot find it in restaurant, they cannot find it in any retail shop. Yeah. And that's kind of the sad thing because everything is processed coming in. Doesn't mean it's not nutritious. Yeah. It just means that you know it's not readily available if you want to diversify the gut. And I had one person, she came once here and uh, she was doing this uh, study research and she was in NYU and basically she was in NYU in the US and she went to Abu Dhabi and now she went to Shanghai. Yeah. Her research is about the gut and she's showing uh, with the evidence that the gut is the same in the US, same in Dubai and same in Shanghai because we're all eating processed food. Yeah. Our gut is no longer diversified what we, eat, what we are eating locally. And I mean, that is crazy that yeah, the because, guts are all the same in those different yeah, countries. Yeah, so this is what her study she's doing. So she came and we had a conversation about it. Do you use this part of the leek as we well? We can use that. Okay, yes. cool. Just let you know, everything can be used okay. uh, for vegetable fermentation. Is it okay if I go over 100 grams with the leek? You can do okay. whatever you want. Because <laughs> cool. This is going to be your recipe. Okay, cool. I really like leek, so... Yeah, me too. Um, that's fascinating. So I have, a, I have a confession to make. Kimchi is not my favorite. Okay. It's just something I like. Definitely, I enjoy the techniques being uh, in it. There's so many techniques we can talk about them. Yeah. But what's really nice about it is how everything comes together. And one thing I will tell you is that we add usually fish sauce oh, okay. to kimchi. Yeah. Fish sauce makes umami flavor that you know. Yes. But also fish sauce is fermented. Oh, yeah. So it actually also acts as a starter. 
Okay. To create more activity for the fermentation. Yeah. You can do a vegan option of, uh, you can add soy sauce because also soy sauce is fermented. Yes. It might not create the umami flavor, but still it can act as well as a good um, uh, source for creating some nice flavor for the kimchi. Okay. We're also going to add later on rice flour. Okay. Rice flour is starch. Yeah. Starch is also a food source for the bacteria because our job is to allow the bacteria to flourish quickly. The one I was talking to you about, yes. the LAB. Okay. For her to drop the pH and create the flavors. Okay, so there's going to be like extra sugars because of the starch. Yeah, yeah. So she will be nuts. eating more yeah. happily, making more babies and making more acid. And <laughs> okay. So if you think of it from this perspective, it changes. You become uh, more. Uh, yeah, that's so true. I didn't know that you put um, starch into kimchi. Actually, you can use potatoes, yeah. rice flour. Everybody has his oh, own yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Instead of using, for example, fish sauce, you can use oyster sauce. You can put your own fish that you dried and fermented. So there's so many different recipes. Instead of using sugar, you can use cane sugar, you can use molasses, you can use honey. Okay. I mean, the list of ingredients can go on and go on and on. Yeah, that's amazing. So why don't you like kimchi? No, I like uh, kimchi. It's just yeah. not my favorite, okay. you know, but I know there is a fad on kimchi and the health benefits are great for it. And it's being served in restaurants. Yeah. So that's why I feel like, you know, it's very good because uh, I had a few chefs as well come here to learn how to make it. Yeah. And the thing is, it's not how to make kimchi is how to ferment in a short time to yes. allow the flavors to come out. Yeah. Because some the recipes call for uh, three weeks or one month or two months fermentation. Yeah. How can you ferment faster by maintaining the right qualities of the texture, flavor, and also the health benefits? And that's where it really becomes a bit more uh, trial and error and technical. That's a beautiful piece. Why not? The cooking school would kill me if they saw <laughs> <laughs> like all Why those not? chopping schools gone to waste. What's the sort of quickest time you could ferment kimchi in it all comes to your own preference but temperature plays a big role okay so just to put the things in context like korea can get quite cold yeah so if they're fermenting in winter outside or in clay jars because back in the days they didn't have fridges yeah they were using those clay pots that you have all around you for sauerkraut for kimchi so in europe when they were fermenting in germany for example sauerkraut in a cold winter for five six seven degrees it will be a long ferment okay. why because the bacteria take time to make. Think of it of, as if you put something in the fridge. Yeah. It will last for a week. In yeah. the freezer, zero degrees for a month. At room temperature, it doesn't last one day because the bacteria start consuming. Yeah. So fermentation, a slow temperature, a long time, gives beautiful flavors. Okay. I can put a jar outside at 42 degrees, but yeah. it's going to spoil the ferment. You can yeah. have so much activity, but no flavor. It's probably going to explode if you put it outside. Yeah, <laughs> now in the heat, yes. Yeah. So cool. what have you got your, this lovely room set at? Uh, right 22 now, degrees. 22 degrees. So 22, 23. That's, and that's my uh, optimal. That's my yeah. optimal temperature. Okay. Usually, a vegetable fermentation is between 18 to 25 okay. for a nice temperature to play with. Yeah. But of course, you know, subject to conditions. Yeah. You know, it can be much lower if you're fermenting without any controlled temperature, mm -hmm. and that becomes just a flavor. So you okay. test, you check, you see, because usually sauerkraut is a three weeks ferment. Okay. For example. Kimchi, I can make it for you in two and five in five days. This yeah. one, because you're adding some elements which will make it much faster. Okay, cool. cool. So garlic, right, garlic. Let's put some 15 grams garlic. Okay, cool. One five. So I have a question, Tiff. Um, why does your kimchi jar say Tangy Tyson on it? You will find out right after this break, along with more of Mahe's fermentation tips. Savina, let's take a minute to talk about one of my favorite things, cheese. Do you have a favorite kind of cheese though, or is that too hard a question? Absolutely. I'm not even going down that road. Um, but I know the cheese I want to talk about right now, and that's Parmigiano Reggiano. 
I was in Italy earlier this year and found myself surrounded by wheels of them stacked into towers, almost like a skyline. This is at our supplier Zanetti, which is now in its fourth generation, having started in 1900 by Guido Zanetti. His great-grandson Paolo Zanetti gave me a fantastic tour. Most importantly, did you get to try both the Parmigiano-Reggiano and the Grana Padano? Yes, absolutely. I tried various wheels of cheese of different ages and Paolo really went into detail about like which cheese goes with which dish that you're trying to serve. For a big occasion, like uh, together with a very good Italian uh, red wine or uh, you know, champagne, it's good to have a very well mature Parmigiano-Reggiano, like a three years old Parmigiano-Reggiano. If you want uh, a product to be created on pasta, uh, like 60 months old, uh, uh, Grana Padano is very good and uh, as a table cheese or as an appetizer cheese or as a piece of cheese I used to have a Parmigiano Reggiano, well mature Parmigiano Reggiano, like three years old Parmigiano Reggiano. So the next time you're serving something special for your friends or family or just indulging in a slice of pizza or leftover pasta for breakfast, grate some of our Spinney's food Parmigiano Reggiano or Grana Padano today. Welcome back. You're listening to Nourish by Spinneys and about all things fermentation with Maher Tabji. So the kimchi I made has now been fermenting for six days. Tell me, what did you think? I mean, I can see why you called it Tangy Tyson. Um, definitely had a nice tangy taste to it. Um, I quite liked it. Are you happy with it? Absolutely. Great. So now what happens? So now it's entirely based on preference. Okay. Mahe said that once it's fermented for five days, and if I'm happy where it is... Which you are. Yes. Okay. <laughs> then I should refrigerate it, which immediately slows down the process, so works to preserve the flavor and texture. And what happens if you were not happy with it? Do you just keep it going? Yes. So if you'd like the cabbage to be a little bit more soft, for example, you'd leave it to ferment actively for a few more days and then refrigerate. Okay. But since I like mine a little bit crunchy, into the fridge it went. All right. And what if it is, you know, a disaster? Well, <laughs> as Mahe mentioned, we blame the bacteria. Okay. <laughs> it's never our fault. Um, no, but this is a pretty foolproof process here. There's, of course, a lot to learn in the nuance of the flavors or how much fermentation you enjoy, um, which is why it's so great to talk to Mahe about it. Um, he definitely made me feel quite comfortable trying it mm -hmm. and answered a whole lot of questions. There's many things, like I have many customers who come in and like, they like, they usually throw the jar if they see white sediments in it. Yeah. It's completely normal in fermenting. Okay. When what is that white sediment? Sorry to interrupt. So this is part of the fermentation. It okay. occurs naturally. So sedimentation always occurs. So because of bacteria activity, change in texture of the vegetables, sedimentation is going to happen normally. Okay. You check the pH, it's always fine. Okay. Sometimes you have as well a white layer that comes on top. It's yeah. called Kamis, K-A-H-M. Yeah. You see that it's completely normal surface growth. Yeah. Because surface growth occur happens when you are exposing it to air. Okay. You just have to skim it off. Okay. And there's a saying in uh, fermenting, everything below the brine is fine. Okay. So everything below that lever, yeah. it's not mold, it should be fine, just skim it off. Yeah. There's a song, you know, just keep swimming. Just keep skimming. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. That was cheesy. And what if it's like super fizzy? P should people be worried about that? Uh, if or it's fizzy? Yeah. So it's completely normal because uh, once you dunk everything in a jar together, yeah. the bacteria will kind of start competing for food. And what bacteria do? They eat. Okay. And when they eat, they release uh, CO2, which okay. is completely normal. Yeah. So every time you pop a jar, you're going to have a fizziness to it because they're eating the sugar. And as you breathe, for example, aerobic, yeah. you have to 
at least CO2. So it's completely normal. Okay. That fizziness is happening because the bacteria are eating and releasing the CO2. Okay. So the first seven days usually are the highest activity because they're eating so fast. Yeah. But then I reach the point where the fizziness will start dropping. Okay. So I usually always advise first two days, first uh, week, burp, like just release the gas once yeah. or twice a day just to make sure you control it. Yeah. Burp the baby. Okay, cool. Burp the baby. All right. right. So next step, what we're going to do now, we're going to make the paste and okay. the paste, we're going to add everything okay. to the Chinese cabbage. So we're going to add a few ingredients. First of all, it's gochugaru. Yeah. Gochugaru, I'm not sure if you know what it is. This is the Korean spices. Yes. Okay. Tell, tell everybody what's in it. So this is just Korean uh, pepper, uh, spicy chili that's grinded into a powder. And basically it's what makes kimchi distinct in the flavor. It has a sweet aroma. It's not very spicy. It's kind of nice and mellow. How much would 15 grams be? Never mind. It's going to be a lot. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that's me too. <laughs> You're like, why did you choose the smallest yeah, spoon? <laughs> I was going to give you this one, but... It's okay. It is good, uh... Live and learn. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. And do you have to use um, these sort of kilner jars for fermenting? So what's the difference between a kilner jar or other Chinese jars or just, uh, for example, the jars I use, for example, which is Bormoli, Rocco or any good manufactured jars? One PBA free. Yeah. So you don't want them to leach uh, anything that's not uh, healthy and as well pressure building. So those can withstand good pressure. So even if you leave it for a week or two, it's not going to... But okay. it just might release a bit of water and they are durable. Yeah. And usually those are stainless steel, not iron, so yeah. they will not rust. Okay. Because usually as well, what happens if you have salt, you open it, salt might come in, it might rust a bit. So yeah. just from a quality perspective, durability, it's better to use uh, okay. ones that withstand a lot. They also look really cool. So <laughs> yeah, as well, yeah. that's one other thing. Once you understand how it tastes now, yeah. then you can change this recipe to accommodate it to yours. Instead of fresh powder, you can use fresh, you can add more gochugaru. That's yeah. what I teach. So you get the recipe in the end. Yeah. But eventually, once you taste it, you can then say, oh, you know what? I shouldn't have listened to Maher. I should have done X, X, X or tried it differently. And yeah. then you create your own. Okay, cool. cool. Right now, I think it's really good to listen to Maher. So. All right, cool. Yeah. Do you put sugar? Yes. Okay, so we put sugar, we put soy sauce, uh, we put fish sauce, we put gochugaru, we put ginger, and we put rice flour. Those are basic ingredients you can use to make kimchi. Now what we're gonna do now, we're gonna make the kimchi paste. Okay. So this is gonna come on top of the Chinese cabbage leaves mm -hmm. to make that beautiful flavor that we're gonna talk about. So now there's two options. Either you blend it in a blender to use as a paste, or you can use the dexterity of your fingers. Okay. So I like more than a blender because blender usually it removes the texture, becomes so liquid. Yeah. I like to have the textures because those when they ferment, they're gonna mellow down and become nice filaments on top of the Chinese cabbage. Okay. It's also, yeah, nice to get in there. Yeah. That's therapeutic. Yeah, it's therapeutic. And you know what's really funny in the session is that I give everybody a pen at the end to really name the jar. Okay. okay? And everybody comes up with a name depending on the type of therapy they got. So I had once Revenge Kimchi <laughs> as a name. <laughs> I had one. It's my day. I'm like, why is your day? It's like, so yeah. uh, interesting stories, you know, that people like just okay. when they want a name. I'm going to have to think of a name. Yeah. I actually love all your sayings around here, like that one about the curves. And yeah, you, I think you, you bring your sense of humor into your store, which is cool. Yeah, don't touch my curves. <laughs> don't touch my curves. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah that's when I, those are the first one when I opened the shop because I think next month is going to be probably a year, next two months. Oh, wow. I think, yeah. Okay, mm. amazing. Yeah, so it's been a kind of interesting journey because, you know, I'm not from the food scene. Yeah. And I didn't know how to start. But I had to start. I didn't know. I've had a few chefs where I just shared with my, them my, my vision. Yeah. Talked about Tapshiri. But fermenting workshops, 
I never knew it was going to become like, you know what? I want to teach people what I know. Yeah. Because you're teaching them the experience. So why learn from their mistake if you can give them your mistakes? And it's different than you do it online. Yeah. Where you come and just like, here's this question of that kimchi coming in. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, cool. Squelchy kimchi. That's going to be the name, maybe. Uh, feeling cool. squelchy. But I think that's amazing. I mean, yeah, you... you your day-to-day -day job is something completely different mm. and you were brave to do this, you know, but it's clearly yeah. that was a gap in the market as well, you know? Yeah, and uh, all the Excel sheets say no, Yeah, you know, but for me it's that I've always wanted to have a small hub for fermentation because the category is small, but there are so many good players out there who are fermenting their bread, their cheese, or yeah. even doing it. But if you really want to grow the category, grow, we have to work together. Yeah. So I wanted to create this... Stapshili is not a shop. I want it to be a movement, mm -hmm. you know, really a movement of fermented food. Because I think fermented food should be available anywhere and everywhere whenever somebody wants them. Yeah. It shouldn't be reserved to a niche space like Tapchili. It should be everywhere. Because it's so important for our diet, so why not? So do you do this with your kids as well? Are they into So my, my son, he likes to ferment chili. Yeah. So every time he has a workshop, he wants to come in and cry because he wants to be in the workshop. Yeah. He has a FOMO. He's four years old. Oh, sweet. So I just uh, put small jars and let him put chilies and salt in it because okay. he likes to see the, the fizz. Yeah. He thinks he created something. I leave it after two days. I'm like, hey, check out what you did. Yeah. My daughter actually eats my hot sauce. Okay. And she likes to pump with it uh, late after yogurt. Uh, okay. I taught her how to like control the heat. Uh, and I managed to convert my wife after seven years of marriage. Yeah. Just now. I'm <laughs> like, you like, have to boost my, my profitability. So. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, fine, I'll just give it a need. Yeah, I'll give it a need. Yeah. But I mean, I'm, same, I'm sure it's the same thing if, where everybody is from. They have kind of fermented food because fermented food is, is not new. Yeah. So, you know, if you think of cheese, you got yogurt, tempeh, bread, wine, beer. Everything is fermented. Back in the days, our homes, like, you know, when you're not living in a city, in the suburbs or in the countryside, like where I'm from, you used to preserve stuff over seasons, and preserving means fermenting. Yeah. That's where flavors come, so you always had it. Yeah, right. Cool. Next uh, therapy, round number two, mm -hmm. okay? You're going to bruise the vegetable leaves. Okay. I don't want you to pulverize them like what you did here. <laughs> I want you to take your time and just bruise the vegetable leaves. Okay. And just to make it a bit more mellow. I'm sorry that I pulverized you, Pace. No, it's, I'm just saying. So <laughs> why do we add salt to vegetables? So uh, if you add... Soften? Exactly, yeah. soften it up. So we could have let it soften up even more yeah. and make it much more mellow. So different okay. techniques. But as well, salt extracts the nutrients. Yeah. So it extracts the water out of it. Yeah. So what we are doing, it's already been brined, so nutrients are being extracted. Okay. They are more accessible for the bacteria. Yeah. So eventually what you are doing now by bruising them, you're allowing as well to have more liquid come out mm -hmm. and let the bacteria play together. Okay. Favoring an environment for lactic acid bacteria to really thrive. Okay. All right. And so this was enough paste for essentially two heads of Chinese cabbage. Uh, yeah, one kg. One kg. One kg. Okay. But eventually, you know, this is where it becomes a personal preference. So, for example, I don't use cochugado for my kimchi when I make it for me. I use yeah. my chili sauce. It's fermented. It has a nice flavor I want from a warmth perspective. Yeah. I just don't use the Korean version. And then you can also do a kitchen kimchi. Okay. Kitchen kimchi is like using scrap leftovers. Yeah. If you have some carrots, if you have uh, some bell peppers, you can make your own paste and make an added because eventually it might not drive the classic kimchi from Korea, but becomes your own recipe. Yes. Just using a cabbage, adding salt, brining it in salt, and then adding different kind of flavors. You can add your fish sauce, you can add your rice flour, potatoes. Mm -hmm. You can use so many different ingredients. Interesting. You know, once I did this, um, like, walking tour with Frying Pan Adventures here, but it was when they did their special experiences, and we tried Korean Uzbeki food because they're 
it was it was fascinating, and it was how Uzbeks took the tradition of making kimchi, and but it was the Koreans had moved to Uzbekistan, yeah. and then what they were fermenting instead. So it wasn't cabbage, but we had like carrot, yeah. you know, fermented carrot, and it was delicious and fascinating. What's nice about fermentation is a it's a it's a passing of tradition. That's why like I have a small cheesy tagline, but you know, it's blending wild fermentation and heritage. Yeah. What is the term wild fermentation? Yeah, actually, I wanted to ask you that because <laughs> yeah. So you have cultured fermentation. So think of like scoby. Yeah. You're adding a starter to the tea mm -hmm. to get the kombucha. You're adding yeast to the sour to the flour to make the sourdough. So yeah. you're using it cultured. You're triggering it. Yes. Wild fermentation. You're letting it happen by itself okay. without any interference. Yes. So what you did, you just put the salt. Get everything done. No starter. Yeah. No bacteria from before to start it up. Yeah. And then you're allowing it to ferment. So okay. it's called wild fermentation. So you're allowing it to run wild. Really cool. Yeah. yeah. So for right. next step, what we're gonna do now? Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna give you a jar. Okay. Cool. Okay. So what you're gonna do now? You're gonna pack this jar. Yeah. But why I'm giving you this? Because eventually, uh, fermentation should be anaerobic, no air. Yeah. So I want you to pack layer, one layer, and then use the masher mm -hmm. but just to squeeze the air bubbles okay from the sides and that way we pack it kind of compact this is prime bacteria this is uh perfect and as you can see you get some some juice coming out yeah you're a pro dude <laughs> thank you <laughs> again super therapeutic i'll take on yeah, yeah yeah i can i can figure out like a tyson name coming out of this one <laughs> <laughs> round one kimchi round one yeah so kimchi and Tiffany, Stang, yeah. Tiffany one, kimchi zero. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, kimchi. Cool, thanks cool. so much. All Welcome. Right. All right, cool. We ask every single person, what nourishes your soul? So Mahe, what nourishes your soul? Tab chili. Tab chili. Okay. <laughs> and if you had to choose something else? No, so what nourishes my soul is really, uh, from a food perspective, is my chili because it really reminds me of my heritage, what I love, my passion. So when I take three months to make it, it really, I really enjoy just having those flavors. That's what nourishes my soul. Other thing, of course, is just being around the family. Okay. It's really interesting how he said, you know, that just about every culture has some history of fermentation as a way to preserve food. And that's actually something that we've come across a few times, right? Um, last season, for example, when I spoke to Chef Carlos of Table, he was using fermentation to preserve and help reduce waste. Ambeta Campo, the Filipino food historian, told me how so much of Filipino food was about fermenting seafood and sauces to preserve them. Yes, and when I spoke to Bill Johnson of Pitfire as well, right? About how slow fermentation over 48 hours brings so much flavor to their dough as well. Yeah, now with this workshop, you're a fermentation expert. Absolutely. No, of course <laughs> not. Um, but Mahe really had so many little nuggets and tips. Not everything made the episode, but were great for someone like me just starting out. Like he showed me four different practical ways to put a weight on the cabbage for my sauerkraut. Okay, so let's talk about how you, yes you, listening to us right now, could also get your hands on one of these workshops. Yes, we've got three workshops to give away, which include both the kimchi workshop you just heard and the new kombucha making masterclass as well. Yes, so follow us at Spinny's UAE on Instagram to find out more and on TikTok as well. And you can also visit us at spinnies.com where you can shop for fresh produce and a variety of local and exclusive products. This episode was brought to you by Spinny's and is hosted by me, Tiffany Eslick and Davina Devecha. 
We're produced by Chirag Desai and we'll be back in two weeks. Yes, you'll hear all about my experience at Glucare and their integrated diabetes testing facility right here in Dubai. See you then. So usually you just remove the bum, I call it the bum bum, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll forever a... call it that now. <laughs> <laughs>